Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Chatham Community Church once again. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to be back with y'all. Thanks to Brian Emmett, who preached for me last week. I was uh, away visiting family overseas, and thanks to all of you who have asked how it went. It went uh, amazingly, and I'm sure I'll, I'll tell more stories uh, in the months and uh, the months to come and weeks to come, uh, but I'm glad to be back with y'all. Uh, before we get into the sermon, just a bit of family news. Uh, one of the things I love about our church is uh, we uh, are part of each other's lives uh, at every step of the way, and um, we see some of that intergenerational nature of our church. We even saw it here uh, during worship. It was great to have um, Hillary, uh, Libby, and Catherine sing for us, and that was amazing. We dedicate kids. Uh, we baptize uh, people. In fact, we're baptizing some um, teenagers or preteens uh, next week, which I'm excited about. Thank you all for praying for that. Um, uh, but it also means we're alongside each other as people cross over from this side of eternity to the next, and uh, we need to be with each other in that sort of nature uh, in these coming weeks. Uh, last week, uh, Bill uh, Grinnell um, passed on. Uh, Bill has been part of our church longer than I have, um, and uh, has been around him and his wife, Sion, have been around for a long time. They've been part of our community uh, they've served, they've loved, they've been part of small groups, uh, they've been with people in hard times and good times, and so it's our turn to be with them. Uh, if you know them, then uh, you know the appropriate things to do in these certain situations. You pray, you reach out, you offer the help you can offer. If you don't know them, you pray, um, you support, you find ways to be kind to the people around you, and uh, if you happen to um, meet Sion or any of the other members of the family, and you express your condolences, and you love. Um, to be in Bill's presence was to feel like Bill had been waiting to be in your presence the whole day. Um, you know, it was the, the, all the signs were there. The warm and firm handshake, the smile, the leaning in as if you were the only person around, and he was uh, interested only in what you had to say and in your life. And we're going to miss his presence in our community. So um, would you join me in praying? There'll be information in the coming weeks about uh, Memorial Service Celebration of Life, and you'll know about that, and we'll let you know. So if you can join us, you do that. But for now, let's just pray for the family. Um, gracious God, there were many people um, whom Bill made feel special and loved and seen. And that was a way in which he was God's presence among people. And those people are hurting. Um, because they miss Bill, and they love Bill. So would you be near? Would you be near to Sion? Would you be near to children, grandchildren? Would you be near to friends and coworkers? Uh, would you be near to the people he made feel like family? Because to him they were. Uh, during this time, Lord, would you comfort our community? Would you comfort the family? Uh, would you show us how we need to be for each other during this time? Uh, would you bring strength when it's needed? Would tears flow and that's what's called? And would we feel also the freedom to smile and laugh as we remember the fun, fond, and funny memories that come from thinking of Bill? Be near us, Lord Jesus, and be near the family. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, and now the hard and awkward transition into the sermon, and we're just going to do that, and that's, that's okay. Um, when you have to make important decisions, the ones where a lot hangs in the balance, what directs you? What directs you when you have to make those decisions? What helps you know what to prioritize? What helps you parse 
through the options. Think about that. The last time you had to make an important decision or a lot hung in the balance, what helped you parse through the options? What helped direct what you eventually decided? And then how, how much hung in the balance? In those moments where we have to make important decisions, how much hangs in the balance in our lives? How high are the stakes? Um, for a man like Mikhail Gorbachev, a lot hung in the balance every day for many years. For those of you that don't know, Gorbachev was the leader of the Soviet Union during some of the darkest days of the Cold War and was even the leader as the Union collapsed. Um, during the Cold War, the fear that there would be a nuclear war was real. It was palpable. People worried about these kinds of things. And both the East and the West had the capability and capacity to decimate each other many times over. Uh, cooler heads prevailed in the hottest moments, moments where things got really heated and things, people were really worried. Part of the, and we're grateful for that. And part of the reason uh, that cooler heads prevailed, part of the reason, was believed to be something known as mutually assured destruction, or MAD, MAD. Uh, what that means was people didn't initiate because they knew there weren't, there weren't going to be any winners, that all of humanity would lose. But even though that was true, the threat and the danger felt real. It was fascinating then to hear of a conversation that Gorbachev had where he was asked how much of a deterrent uh, MAD was, how much of a deterrent mutually assured destruction was. And when you hear him talk about it, it almost sounds as it didn't need to be. Gorbachev is quoted as saying, I could never have considered such an option. Even as a young man, this is speaking as an older man, even as a young man with all the bluster, I knew that if fate brought me to that moment, I would not exercise that option. It's a really interesting thing to hear. And the person talking to him had a follow-up. And in the follow-ups, he asked Gorbachev where that moral compass came from, right? What gave him that resoluteness, that, stead, that centeredness, that steadfastness to, to have that sort of position? And, and he thought about it, and he responded, well, my grandmother and my mother were religious, and then he went on to talk about how at his grandparents' house, uh, there was a table, and at that table were his grandmother's religious icons, her orthodox prayer icons. And I, I couldn't help but imagine Gorbachev as a child, and then as he grew up, sitting at that table, and not just seeing those icons, but seeing his grandmother pray, and listening to his grandmother and his mother and his family members talk about how those things shaped their lives, watching, noticing, observing what their lives were like as he sat at that table. It's very clear that it shaped him. He was hard to pin down, even at the end of his life, on whether he believed in God or not. You know, there was the pressures of being the leader of the Soviet Union and even the legacy of that. Uh, but even he also gave conflicting answers from time to time. But what was, not, what, was un, what, was, what was not unclear, what was clear, was that something about that formed him. Something about that influenced him. Friends, the tables we sit at, the tables we choose to sit at, can make a world of difference in our lives and can make a difference in our world. The tables we sit at can make a world of difference in us and can make a difference in our world. For the last few weeks, we've been studying passages in the Scripture, mostly from a genre that is known as wisdom literature. 
Uh, one of the reasons we've been doing that is because the way that is marked or guided by the wisdom that we find in Scripture, that path that it charts is one that can help us through, sort through the options that we have when the stakes are high, when we have to make important decisions, when things hang in the balance that matters. It can help us find a way through when our lives feel chaotic. As a refresher, here's how we defined wisdom a few weeks ago. Wisdom is, th- is the ability to distinguish the good or ideal way combined with the will to pursue it. We talked about how in the scriptures, when it talks about wisdom, it's not talking about an intellectual exercise. Wisdom is not a theoretical experience for the people in scripture. It always has teeth to it. It always has feet to it. It's always about not just hearing or listening. It's always about doing as well. So it's not just the ability to know what the ideal path is, but it's the will to go for it, to pursue it. Now, this is a pretty cumbersome definition, so let me summarize it a little bit for us. Wisdom, then, is to know, to want, and to walk upon the path of good. Wisdom is to know, to want, and to walk upon the path of good. So the knowledge, the desire, and the will to actually go through with the ideal or the good. And today, what we're going to see is that as the scriptures talk about wisdom, it talks about wisdom setting a table. And wisdom inviting us to that table. And the tables that we choose to sit at can make a world of difference and can make a difference in our world. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 9 for a few verses, and then we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3. You can look those up if you'd like. Uh, We're going to start in Proverbs 9. And if you don't happen to have a Bible, we're going to put it on the screen in just a second, so don't worry about that. But I'm going to give you, those of you who have it, a chance to find it. We're going to start in verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 9 in just a second. Here we go. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those that have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Then we'll skip over to Proverbs chapter 3 and we'll read verses 13 through 18. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better results than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. As we've seen in previous passages, wisdom is personified here. And part of that is to give wisdom a voice. It's a technique used to give wisdom a voice. But also it's a technique used to stress the importance of wisdom. And in these passages, we get this sense that wisdom is industrious that wisdom is hardworking, that wisdom is seen in deliberateness, that wisdom is valuable, that wisdom is significant, among many other things. And in the first section we read, something peculiar happens also. It talks about wisdom building a house. It talks about wisdom preparing a meal. It talks about wisdom setting a table. Animals have been slaughtered. Wine has been mixed. It's like something important is being prepared. Cheese paid attention, wisdom has. To every detail, nothing has escaped her sight. 
It feels like a banquet is being prepared. A party is being set up. Something important is about to happen. And part of what's being conveyed is this idea that at the table that wisdom sets, there is abundant provision, right? All this meat has been slaughtered and prepared. All this wine has been mixed. She's gone through all the trouble. There is more than enough at the table of wisdom. And once again, if the tables we sit at can make a difference and can make a difference in our world, then wouldn't we rather sit at tables that are marked by abundance than tables that are marked by scarcity? Wouldn't we rather sit at tables where there is more than enough, where there is abundance, rather than at tables where there are barely scraps of what is good? There is understanding in abundance at the table of wisdom. There is insight in abundance at the table of wisdom. There is honor in abundance at the table of wisdom. There is peace in abundance at the table of wisdom. The kinds of things that make for good, meaningful lives, the kinds of things that we need when the stakes are high and important decisions are before us are there in abundance at the table of wisdom. There is life in abundance at the table of wisdom. There is more than enough at the table of wisdom. There is more than enough for anyone who would come. More than enough. More than enough. Think about how freeing that concept is in a world where scarcity feels like the norm or it feels like scarcity or not enough is just around the corner or the the messages of not enough continually come at us where we continually are pressed to think that we need more. And if we are continually pressed to think that we need more and we need to pursue more, the underlying message is that there is currently not enough. Think of what that's done to you in your life. Now, there's nothing wrong with having some ambition, some drive, but it feels different when it comes from a place of enough than when it comes from a place of scarcity, than when it comes from a place of lack. But at the table of wisdom, there is more than enough. There is more than enough of what we need to navigate through the chaos that can be life. There is more than enough to make the decisions that matter that will lead to ultimate good when the stakes are high and when the stakes feel low. There is always more than enough of what we need at the table of wisdom. Now, wisdom doesn't just set the table and see who shows up. Wisdom isn't passive after the table has been set. The passage tells us that a call is raised. And that call comes from the highest point in the city. And what's being conveyed in that is that at the highest point in the city, when you raise the voice, the sound carries. Not just to everywhere in the city, but even to places beyond. Because the invitation is to, be re- is to reach everyone. Everyone is to receive this invitation. It's not just that there's more than enough. There's more than enough for everyone. There's more than enough for everyone. The goal is that everyone would hear that there is a table set, that everyone would hear the invitation, that here and now people would know that we are invited to sit at the table of wisdom. You are invited to sit at the table of wisdom. You are invited to sit at the table of wisdom. You are invited to sit at the table of wisdom. I am invited to sit at the table of wisdom. We are all invited to sit at the table of wisdom. The call has gone out and has been going out for millennia for everyone who would hear. And the point is made that everyone ought here 
The call has gone out so that everyone would hear that everyone is invited at the table of wisdom where it doesn't run out, where there's always enough, where it doesn't matter how crowded it is, it will never be too crowded because there is always enough. We are all invited to sit at the table of wisdom. We're not just invited, but we are sought out. We are sought out. We are sought out. As we sang earlier, right? God is coming after us. God chases after us. One of the themes in scriptures, and we sang about it, as I said, is that God initiates, that God goes first. God initiates the work of rescuing people. God initiates the work of seeking out his creation. God initiates the work of reconciliation. God initiates the work of setting the table for wisdom, not just of setting the table, but of calling people to come, going to where people are and saying, you are invited to the table of wisdom. It's not just that a sign is posted on a wall uh, and whoever sees it, well, they saw it and they got the invitation. God goes to the places where people are and says, you are invited to the table of wisdom. You are invited. God goes first. Wisdom seeks us out because God doesn't want any of us to go through life not knowing that we are invited. God wants all of us to know that we are invited, that we are invited. It's not something that we earn. It's not a reward for something we've done. The invitation doesn't come and the meal doesn't start getting prepared after we've accumulated a number of good deed stars. No, the invitation is there from the beginning. It's a gift. It's a grace. The tables we sit at can make a world of difference and can make a difference in the world. And you and I are invited to the table that has the elements needed, needed to make that difference in us and for us to make the greatest difference we can for good in our world. And our world desperately needs people who are equipped to make the greatest difference for good. And it's all there for us at the table of wisdom. At the table of wisdom that you and I are invited to, no matter our stories, no matter our past, no matter where we come from, no matter what we've thought, no matter what we've done, it's there for us. It's there for us. It's there for us. And when we hear that invitation, when we come to the table of wisdom, what we find is that there is blessing for us. And not just blessing for us, but a place prepared specifically for us at the table of wisdom. None of us are intruders or interlopers at the table of wisdom. None of us sneak our way into the table of wisdom. None of us have to pull up a random stool at a corner of a table at the table of wisdom. None of us have to sort of hide away some food and eat in the kitchen at the banquet of wisdom. At the table of wisdom, there is a place with your name and my name and your name and your name and your name and all of our names. Not just those of us who are here, but anyone who has ever lived, there is a place for us if we'll take it. And no one can take your place. And no one can take mine. And at that place is not just all the blessing, but is the blessing that you need. At your place is the blessing that you need. There's the blessing at my place that I need. 
There's the stuff that can equip me at my place and the stuff that can equip you at your place. And though there is overlap, there is also distinction and difference. It's like a meal was prepared specifically with you in mind. Imagine how long it would take to prepare a meal, a specific meal for each one of us. A plate that is designed and tailored specifically for each one of us with what we would need. Imagine, because that's what the table of wisdom is like. That's what the table of wisdom is like. The blessing we need, the peace we need, the understanding we need, the pleasantness we need in life, the resources we need, the blessing we need, and it is for us. The table we sit at can make a world of difference and can make a difference in our world, and there is a place with our name on it at this table. And everything we need can be found at that place. A chunk of what I know about leading people, I learned at a table. I learned it at Joanne's table. Joanne Acevedo was my supervisor for four years. And I remember early on in uh, my career, early on in her time supervising me, uh, we were out for a walk. This was maybe like the second or third time she, that I met with her for supervision. We were in a park. And she asked me, what are your aspirations? Uh, in sort of this job? What would you like? And in, in a number of words, I basically told her, I want your job. <laughs> I want to do what you do, right? I wanted to have her job. And what I loved about Joanne, what I still love, Joanne was a colleague later after she was my supervisor and as a friend to this day. Uh, and this is still true about her, is that when she hears things like that, she hears things like that, she isn't threatened. She wasn't threatened in that moment. In fact, I remember her shaking her head, sort of nodding her head and saying, yeah, I think that's possible. I think there's potential for that to happen. And then for the next four years, she would routinely invite me to her home. And at her home, she would routinely have a meal prepared, or we would order in, or sometimes when, you know, things had gotten crazy with the kids, we would go somewhere and sit and eat somewhere else. And um, at the table with Joanne, Joanne would talk. She would share stories about her leading and how she was leading the team, how she was thinking about strategy, how she was thinking about organizational culture, how she was thinking about structure, not only for my specific job that I had, but for her job and even more broadly for the organization. She asked questions. She shared stories. She gave advice. She celebrated me when I did well. She corrected me when I did poorly. She challenged me when I settled for less than what I could do or could be. She prayed for me. She did so much more. There was wisdom at Joanne's table. In fact, there still is. It was wisdom that I needed then. It's still wisdom that I need now. And she recognized it. And she invited me in. And I know she didn't do this exactly the way she did it for me, for all the people that she supervised, but it feels when you talk to the people that she supervised that everyone got what they needed. See, there was the wisdom that I needed at Joanne's table, and she shared it generously. Sitting at that table made a world of difference in my life, and it's made a difference in my world and how I have carried myself in the years since. There is the table of wisdom, the great table of wisdom that God sets for us. And if you've never sat at that table, 
If you've never actually experienced the wisdom of God, the love of God, life with God, there is an opportunity for you today. And you can and are invited to sit at that table. The place is yours. No one can take it. No one can take it. The meal has been prepared. It remains warm until you sit at that table. It's a wonderful thing about that table. You are never too late, nor are you too early. When you arrive, it's like Gandalf. You arrive just on time. <laughs> just when you intend to. It's there for you. There'll be lots of good stuff for you. But there are also tables of wisdom that God sets for us throughout our lives in people, in communities, in experiences that he prepares for us. That if we partake in them, we get what we need. It makes a difference in our lives and it makes a difference in the world we inhabit. So I wonder, what table of wisdom is God inviting you to sit at this week, in this season? Is there one that you've been delaying? One that you've been postponing? One that maybe you've thought yourself not good enough to sit at? The place is yours. It's no one else's. If you've felt the invitation, guess what? It's yours. And there's a meal there waiting for you. And it is what you need. And it is good. And it will help you navigate through the chaos. And it will help you make the decisions you need to make that make the, be- the greatest difference for good. Not just in your life, but in the world you inhabit. Don't delay sitting at the tables of wisdom God has set for you. And I said this earlier, but I'll say it again. We don't earn our place at the tables of wisdom. But, but it is okay to ask, what can we bring to the table of wisdom? In fact, what do we bring to the table of wisdom? And another way of asking that is, how do we approach tables of wisdom so as to participate in the meal, so as to actually enjoy what is served? Well, once we hear the invitation, and let me just say, if you're here today, you're hearing an invitation. As I'm here today, I'm hearing an invitation. I'm examining and exploring, and I have been as well, what table of wisdom God is inviting me to, because there are always invitations. What do we do next once we hear the invitation? Well, the first thing is to enter with repentant humility. The passage talks about wisdom calling out to the simple and inviting them to leave their simple ways. Now, we might think that refers to a specific group, and part of the reason why we think that is because none of us wants to think of ourselves as simple, because that has negative connotations. I understand that. Now, yes and no, right? I'd say it applies to everyone, but not everyone recognizes it. Because in light of the wisdom of God, anything outside of that is simple. Anything outside of that lacks it. Hence the need for repentant humility. To enter with repentant humility, because those feel, especially repentant, feel like highly charged religious words. To enter with repentant humility, here's what it means. It means to acknowledge first that the paths outside the wisdom path are actually not wise. They're not actually worth walking because they don't lead to the greatest good. And it also means to acknowledge that we can't manufacture the wisest path on our own. To enter in, to get to the table, to enter in with repentant humility means to acknowledge first that the other paths are not wise. That other tables do not serve the kind of wisdom God does. And second, that we can't manufacture wisdom on our own. 
at least not the kind of wisdom that makes the greatest difference in our world. And if we are willing to acknowledge that, we'll be able to find our seat at the table of wisdom. We'll be able to recognize that there is a seat for us, and we'll be able to enjoy the meal at wisdom's table. A number of years ago, I was stuck in my development, and I read something that I think was written by Brene Brown, where she expressed a thing that she was sort of trying, uh, that she hoped would sort of spread to more people. She hoped that more people would try it. She was reflecting on how in the age of information and social media, there was, this, there was this pressure that people felt, whether they realized it or not, this pressure to always have something to say about anything that they came across. The pressure to have an opinion about everything and anything, regardless of how qualified, capable, and knowledgeable you were to have those opinions. There was an expectation that we would have formed thoughts about everything. And she had started, she had begun to be intentional about using a phrase for herself. And when people asked her, that sounds like, I don't know enough about that to speak about it. I know, radical. I don't know enough about that to speak about it. And when I read that phrase, it was like an arrow had struck my heart. In fact, an arrow had struck my soul. I remembered a conversation I'd had just a few weeks earlier. We were debriefing a decision we'd made as a leadership team, and the outcome had not gone well. And I had been influential in that decision. And we were reflecting on it, and I said, well, you know, I'm not surprised. I, I, I really wasn't sure that this was the right thing to do. Like, I just wasn't super confident in it. And a coworker looked at me, and she was rather hurt and betrayed. And she said, really? Because you talked like you knew that this was the right thing. Like you knew that this was what we should do. And she was right. Because in the moment where we were in the midst of discussion, I felt like I had to contribute. And not, look like I had, not just like I had to contribute, like I had to contribute with confidence. Like I had to know what the right thing was. Like it was not okay to not know. I felt like I had to be someone who knew. And I realized that I'd actually been true for most of my life. I had this pressure to be a knower. To be someone who people could look to who had the right thing to say in the right moment about whatever they needed. And it kept me and it kept others from receiving wisdom. It kept me from sitting at tables of wisdom that had been set for me because I thought I knew, because I thought I needed to know. That day I started on a path of freedom from needing to be the knower. And if you've been in leadership uh, with me in some capacity, you've probably heard me say things like, I don't know enough about that to speak on it, or don't ask me to have an opinion about that. Because I will form one, and then I will care, even though I don't know. And I'll say things like, and you're actually the expert. I actually trust you. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary to say things like that sometimes, especially when people look to you. But let me tell you, it's freeing. It's freeing, and it's helped me gain wisdom. I wonder if there aren't a few of us here today who need to start on a path of being freed from having to know. And if that will open the door, we'll clear the plate so that wisdom can be served. If the tables we sit at can make a world of difference and can make a difference in our world, sometimes we have to come to terms with the fact that we have been sitting at the wrong tables and that the difference it has made has not been good. In addition to repentant humility, when we sit at wisdom's table, 
We must come with a willingness to reframe what's important. The Proverbs 3 passage talks about a prophet that is better than gold. And it also mentions that while riches and honor are in wisdom's left hand, long life is in our right. And there's some cultural goings on in that phrasing. Because everyone who would have heard that in the first century, or sorry, not in the first century, pre-first century, in the ancient world, would have known that an importance statement is being said there. That actually what is being done is these things are being ranked. Because what's in the right hand is infinitely more important than what's in the left. They would have known that. They would have known. So when they hear that riches and honor are in the left, they're like, okay, so you get some fringe benefits too. But the important thing, the really important thing, is you get life. You get long life. That is communicating importance. Now, friends, our family of origin shapes what we think is important. Our communities shape what we think is important. Our education shapes what we think is important. Our workplaces shape what we think is important. Our friends shape what we think is important. And when we come to the table of wisdom, we must be willing to consider that not everything that we've come to believe is important is actually important. Now, don't hear me say that you have to discard everything. I'm fairly confident that there are elements of what's been ingrained in you that is important that is important and that you'll be able to keep but we must be willing to consider that not everything is, that there may be something else. We, we must be open to finding out that some or all or many of those needs and priorities need to be shifted or discarded, that the plate needs to be cleared, because if we're not willing to consider that, then we won't be able to receive what is served at the table of wisdom. We won't be able to receive what is served. Imagine being invited to a meal where each guest's need are taken into account, where each plate is specifically prepared with the person eating it in mind, that there is a place for you with what you want to eat ready. Imagine showing up and saying that you grabbed something from the drive-thru and aren't hungry anymore. You may look at the plate and think, well, you know, this was really thoughtful. Let me take a nibble at least of a few things. But you won't actually be able to enjoy all of it. You won't be able to actually partake in all that is there for you. If the wisdom table the Lord invites us to can make a world of difference in our lives and can make a difference in our world, let's come with an appetite. Let's come with openness. Let's come with a willingness to receive and then let's dig in to what's served, to what's been prepared, to what is for us. Finally, let's walk the way of wisdom. Let's walk the way of his wisdom. The passage talks about then walking in the way of insight. Let's put this stuff into practice, right? It's baked into everything that is written about wisdom in the scriptures. It's not theory. It is life change. It is the things that shape us. It is applying this stuff that actually makes the difference. What good is it to sit at the table that can make a difference in our lives and can make a difference in our world if we never live out that potential? if we never let it happen in us and we never set out of being a part of the difference that it can make in the world, what good is it to sit at the table then if we don't actually take it in and then take it forth? It's nothing. It makes no difference. It makes no difference. Here's what I've seen that look like in our community. 
when I first got here, I joined a small group. The small group has an interesting dynamic. Um, and some of your small groups do this as well. Uh, when they gather, the first thing they do is they have a meal. It's a potluck meal. At this point, there aren't even sign-ups, so you never know what you're going to get. Uh, in fact, I've heard rumors that in some meals, it's been all desserts. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. And uh, I suspect that that's what everyone needed that day. That's why everyone brought desserts. And then some days it's been all like vegetables and side dishes. You know, it's been great. Um, and then after the meal, they do the Bible study. But what you notice as people take the meal and sit at tables is that conversations strike up. Now, I saw this when I was there, and I've tracked with them over the last four or five years. And what you realize or what you see as you track this small group is that as they sit together, first of all, as they sit together in the meal, they share about their lives. You've seen people gain interests that others had or gain knowledge in areas that they didn't have that someone else did because they've sat and talked and shared. There's been curiosity. There's been trust. There's been vulnerability. They've been with each other in hard times. They've been with each other in good times. They've undertaken projects together. They've served in the community together, and they've taken on projects to serve one another. And then after the meal is done, they carry that same spirit as they study the scriptures and sit at the table where the, the Lord's word is served. And they ask each other good questions and they push each other on matters of faith. They don't settle for simple answers. They dig deep. I've seen people in that group go closer to God and sharper in their faith because they've sat at the table, at each other's table and at the table of wisdom. They've shared as the people are doing here. See, the table of wisdom is not a table that we sit at in isolation. It's a table we sit at with people. And as we sit at that table, we find a few things. One is that the Lord always serves what the community needs, what the group needs, and serves what you need. And we pass each other the plates. We pass each other the dishes. But what you also find, which is amazing, is that everyone happens to have brought something that the table needed as well. The Lord prepares and the Lord welcomes what we bring. And you get to experience the wisdom of the people you are with. And it's not just a banquet that the Lord has prepared, but it ends up being a banquet and a potluck. And the wisdom multiplies. And a difference is made in people's lives. And a difference is made in the world. And I'm not just talking about that theoretically, because I've seen it in this small group. I know it is real. I have seen it happen. Friends, that's the type of table we're invited to. That's the type of table you're invited to today. Let's sit at those kinds of tables, the kinds of tables where you can sit at that make a difference in your life and that help you make a difference in the world. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you that wisdom's table is prepared for us. Thank you that there is a place with our name on it that nobody can take Thank you that whatever we come in needing today, you have provided at the table. It's there for us to take. Thank you that there are people that we can sit at that can also provide other stuff that we need. Thank you, Lord, that you, wel you even welcome what we bring to the table and we can offer it to others as well. Thank you for the dynamic community that can be formed in those moments. Thank you that it can make a difference in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you invite us to make a difference in our worlds. Lord, would we come to the table today humbly? Would we come to the table hungry? Would we come to the table knowing that there is more than enough? And would we receive? In Jesus' name, amen.